Who's ready for a word today? <clears throat> I'm fired up. Uh, I'm going to be kicking off a message series this morning, so this is exciting for me. Um, let me just say this before we get into it, that one of the amazing things, it just always kind of blows my mind in Scripture when I come across the verses where it says that by the Holy Spirit, by the person of God that lives in us, that we have access to the full counsel of God. I don't know about you, but that, that kind of just blows my mind. The full counsel of God. The everything we need to become the person that he's created us to be and everything we need to prepare for our eternal home, which is the fulfillment really of our purpose and calling. It's all right here. It's all right here. The full counsel of God. Are there decisions in your life that you got to make? Like, am I going to move here? Am I going to take that job? Am I going to marry this person? That, you know, that you don't necessarily directly find? Of course. But what I'm telling you is, is that all of those decisions get made out of the counsel that flows through this word right here into your life to enrich your wisdom and understanding of the ways and things of God so that those decisions are flavored and influenced by his counsel right here. I just never want to make any decision in my life without first consulting the divine counselor. And he says, I give you access to the full counsel of God right here. So I'm just, I love that. And so as we get into our message today, we're kicking off a message series. And the title of the series is called Church Myths. Church Myths. And I'm really looking forward to digging in and plowing ground because I believe, this is interesting, but last night I was talking to some people and they were telling me about another church, which is a really, really large church um, called Church on the Move, and that they were actually preaching a series very similar to this that they just kicked off called What is Church? Um, and I listen to podcasts and sermons and I listen to a lot of stuff from Gateway in different places, but I'm just, I had no idea. I had no idea. And then there were other people saying, yeah, my, my friend or my family member was telling me about a message that they just listened to that was like along the same lines. And so I think that the Lord is really speaking clearly right now to his church. I think he's speaking the right things at the right time that we need to hear if we have ears to hear. So church miss, we're going to spend a few weeks what we're going to do is we're going to go through and unpack some real common church myths, some false beliefs, preconceived beliefs that are dysfunctional about church that a lot of people have. And here's why I think that's so important, especially in the world we're in today, is because the body of Christ really needs to be getting stronger right now, really needs to be gaining momentum. And when people have wrong views of church, bad views of church, it creates stumbling blocks and roadblocks to them really taking their place in the body of Christ the way that they're called to. Does that make sense? It's just, it, it kind of creates a roadblock to them being able to become all that God's created them to be by taking their place and relating to and connecting with the body of Christ, the family of God, the way that we're really all called to do. Now, the important thing to take note of is that people with wrong beliefs, bad views, bad doctrine around church, the local church, they did not typically arrive there overnight. Okay, let's, let's, let's just be real. They didn't get there overnight and even though a lot of those views may be ungrounded scripturally in the way they see the church, many times those preconceived views, those bad views, are a result of bad experiences, hurts, and wounds from things that people have been through in their past where perhaps they encountered what wasn't a true or authentic expression of the body of Christ. Does that make sense? And so then they kind of go around with these preconceived views in these barriers that distort how they see church, and so they never really relate or engage in the body of Christ, the family of God, the way that they need to, and Satan loves that. Satan loves that. He keeps them at a distance from actually really getting into the family and being a part of the family. And one of the things that we have to understand when we look at 
the scriptures about the church is that the church, us, the family of God, folks, we are what the Bible calls the bride of Christ. Do you understand that? The bride of Christ. She's a beautiful bride betrothed to the groom, the bridegroom, being prepared for the wedding day, the marriage supper of the Lamb in heaven when Christ returns, and being adorned with all of the precious jewels and arrays of blessings and showered with riches and blessings that the groom gives his bride. That's the church. Now, we look around and we think, we're people and we make up the church, right? And we're a bunch of messed up people. Would you agree with that? Look at your neighbor and say, you're just messed up. Some of you like that way too much. Okay, all right. And we all got problems, right? That's why I think one of the beautiful things about this is that the, the bride of Christ is made up of imperfect people who are empowered by and serve a perfect God. And we have the opportunity to become an expression, a true, authentic expression of his love here in this world. And I, I want to take some time as we open this up before we get into some of the myths that we work through. And I really want to help us first to establish a good foundation and understanding of what does the Bible say about church? What is church, right? Because if we're not careful or if we have preconceived views of church, then we can actually develop almost like a critical spirit towards the local church. That's a problem. That's a real dangerous thing. I just want to caution you. Because, and I know some people, I know some, some guys in ministry and stuff I've met through the years and really gifted, really talented, and, but it's just, it's interesting because in some of these situations, they're kind of like what I would refer to as a nomad, where they just, they just bounce around and they just kind of go and pop in and out of places and do their thing, but they never really connect in the body of Christ in the local church. They never submit to spiritual authority, they never build you know, relationships that go deep. And in many cases, what you find is they have kind of a critical spirit towards church, towards the local church. And I, I've just had some conversations and moments where an opportunity would open up for me to say this. And I would say very confident, like, you need to be careful how you criticize the church. I, I would just be really careful what you say because when you criticize the church, you're criticizing Jesus' bride. And I don't think he takes that too well. How would you feel, husbands in the room, if somebody was around and talking about your bride, your wife, in a negative way, kind of being critical? Something would just kind of rise up in you, right? You think Jesus likes it whenever people criticize his bride? No. Are we perfect? Absolutely not. Are we going to make every perfect decision? No way. But are we still a representation of what Jesus says, this is my bride, being prepared for the wedding day with me? And so we want to develop, let me say it this way, we need to learn to love the local church. That's a huge important part of our walk. We need to learn to love the church and to relate and take our place in the church in a way where we can thrive where we can flourish and become all that God is calling us to be, all that he has created us to be. Amen, John? Amen. So let's go ahead and open up our Bibles into the Gospel of Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16. And this is the moment in Scripture where Jesus first introduces his plan this idea of church, okay? Now, God's always had a family and always had a people, but this kind of went to a new level when Jesus introduces this in Matthew 16. And what you're going to find is that the church, once again, even though we're a bunch of imperfect people, that the church did not get its origin, did not get its birth in the, nat in the things of the natural, the church was actually birthed in the Spirit of God, supernaturally, and given power to advance God's will, the kingdom of heaven here on earth. So let's read uh, Matthew 16, verses 13 through 19. 
Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am, the Son of Man? Let me just pause for a second. I'm going to say this right now. That question right there, who do you say that I am? That's the most important question that we need to settle right there in our earthly lives. What do we do with Jesus? Who is Jesus to us? Because if he is Jesus, then that implies so many things. It really implies that he needs to be the Lord over every area of our lives. Many people say, well, you're Jesus, but I only want you to be Jesus here. (laughs) I don't need you, Jesus, over here. I want to keep those rooms in my house to myself. Jesus, you can hang out in the family room, and if you really want to go in the kitchen, you can, but don't you dare go upstairs, and don't you open those doors that I got closed up there. We do that, right? People, it's like, if Jesus really is Jesus, if, if you want all he has for you, you're going to have to fling open every door in your house and say, Jesus, come on in and just change the place however you want to change the place. You need to redecorate. You need to throw some things out. You need to drag some baggage and some garbage out. Jesus, just go in and do whatever it is that you need to do because you're Jesus, which means you need to have access to this whole place. That was free. Okay. Matthew 16, verse 14. So they said... Some say you're John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him and said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I love that statement because he's saying, you have no way of knowing that from an earthly source of knowledge. You, you were just had a revelation from heaven to help you see that. And God wants to give us revelation. He wants to unveil our eyes to peer into the hidden and mysterious things that are unknown to man that can only be revealed by God himself. He says, you just you got that from heaven, not from this earth. He says in verse 18, And I will say to you, you are Peter... And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind in earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for that authority. Let's pray. Lord, in Jesus' name, we're asking you, God, to speak to us today. Would you enrich us with understanding and knowledge that we could not know apart from you. God, would you empower us and strengthen us to take our place in the family of God, in the body of Christ. And would you help each and every one of us to become game changers in this world for you, God, that we would make an impact while we're here to advance your kingdom. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. So... Let's break a few things down in these verses, some stuff going on here. Huge moment, huge moment. Jesus' first time introduces the idea that he is getting ready to birth something. He's getting ready to birth his church right here. And the fact that Jesus is in the location that he's in when he's having this conversation, I just want to mention it's absolutely no accident, mistake, or coincidence. In fact, nothing in Scripture is, right? But he's in this place called Caesarea Philippi. Now, last week we talked about Cornelius, and he was in a place called Caesarea. There are two different places, uh, Caesarea Maritima, which is on the sea of uh, the Mediterranean Sea. That's where Cornelius was, Caesarea Philippi is a different place. They're named after Caesar, different emperors. Um, and there's no accident that Jesus is where he is. In fact, when you read the Bible and you really dig in, the Holy Spirit will illuminate and give you insight. He'll speak to you. He'll reveal the counsel of God to you. And there are, there are deeper layers that you can go to as you read the scriptures to get further revelation and insight. And so some of the things that we do, proper interpretive methods, is 
You know, you break down the original text, you, you look at the historical and geographic context. And this is one of the things that's important here in these verses is the geographical context, this area of Caesarea Philippi. So it's a place that's a little bit north of the Sea of Galilee. It's actually kind of like on the outskirt edges of the places that Jesus and the disciples would travel to. And so most of his ministry was done right around the Sea of Galilee and the various cities there, but they would occasionally move and travel into some places a little bit distant and fur up, far, further up, and that's where Caesarea Philippi was. It's a little to the north, and there are different Syrian and uh, Samaritan cultures and groups as you get further north that were occupying these parts of Israel. And so as you get further up, you start to run into more of those influences, and that's what is happening in Caesarea Philippi because it's a place where a lot of shrines, a lot of temples, and a lot of idol worship would take place because there was Samaritan and Syrian influence, idols, different gods, things like that, okay? So we were in Israel. Um, we went twice, and the first time we went, we were, Katie and I were tourists and just fell in love with the place and thought, man, this is incredible. People need to be exposed to this. This just allows the scriptures to come alive like nothing else can, you know? as far as just geographical, and, and seeing the backdrop of everything. And so we decided we're going we're gonna to start taking tours and taking people in our church every couple of years because we want people to have the same opportunity. So we did a tour, and we took 25, almost 30 people two years ago, um, and we were at this place, Caesarea Philippi. So I've got some pictures from while we were there that I want to show you. And what I want you to see because I'm trying to paint this backdrop for you of why this area is so important. We're going to talk about the gates of Hades. And what you're going to see is that there are these massive caves and tunnels that are in the rocks and the cliffs right here in this particular area of Caesarea Philippi. So let's show like the group picture, just the tour. Okay, you see, the, you see a couple of those caves right there in the background. And then let's show the aerial view because you can sort of really look down in. See that great big cave? in the left, and then there's a bunch of little tunnels and caves along the side. There's some of those ancient shrines and temples that were built to various gods, and that water there is kind of like an underground spring that flows out and then forms a river. Actually, you can see the next picture of the rivers. See how it's just this beautiful water and stream from this natural spring, and then that last picture you can see, here's my daughter Bella. She got to go with us. Look how beautiful that water is, and how green it is. Look how pretty she is. Isn't she darling? Um, and so I'll just make a little plug. Let me just plant a little seed. We were going to try and go again last spring, and with this COVID thing, everything obviously got messed up. But we're intending on having another tour in the fall of next year. So come the beginning of the year, of course, we'll get information out if we're doing that. But I just want to encourage you, plant the seed, pray about that, think about that. It's a life-changing trip. It's amazing. So we're in this area of Caesarea Philippi. You see all these caves. Here's why that's important. Because these cultures were in this area... They believed that these caves were gates to the underworld. They believed that these were portals or gates and entrances into the underworld where they would go and conjure up and worship and invite spirits from the underworld into this world to be a part of their societies. You say, well, it's obviously, you know, it's not. Well, listen, let me just say this, okay? As your pastor, and if this upsets you, then okay, I don't know what to say. This just, I just got to say this to you, okay? No, I think it's true. So um, you better be careful what you dabble in, okay? It's not okay. In fact, it's very dangerous I see a lot of people doing things like going in, you know, psychics and mystics and fortune tellers and horoscope readings for their what's my sign and my day. Like, I'm just telling you, that stuff's dangerous, all right? If you dabble in that, you're dabbling with something that's real, but it's not of God. Don't think that there's just nothing to that. Let me just remind you, when Moses went to Egypt and he was introducing the plagues, let me remind you what happened. First thing that occurred... Aaron came, he brought his staff, and he threw it down on the ground, and it turned into a serpent. And then Pharaoh brought his magicians over, and they threw their staffs down, and they turned into serpents. Now Aaron's staff ate their staffs. 
That's awesome. I love that. <laughs> Show you, you know. Plague number one, turn the water to, to blood. Uh, Pharaoh's magicians came in. They turned water to blood red. So we, no, no big deal. We can do that. Plague number two, the frogs. Moses said, here comes a plague. Frogs came. Guess what? Magicians come along. We can do that too. They brought frogs. Plague number three, lice. Magicians came, so they couldn't do it. They finally, like, they had no more power. But God just said, enough's enough. What am I trying to say? The spirit of dark, the spirits of darkness are real. And if we invite those things in to our lives, you better believe something's going to happen. You better believe that things are going to occur because you're opening a door in your life and you're inviting spirits in that I promise you, you do not want to give a place in your life to. And so they're in this area where this is what people were doing all around here. It's like these, they saw these caves as gates to the underworld and they were inviting and worshiping all of these spirits and, and God, false gods and seen come through, and they saw these gates as this huge underworld that they were tapping into. And Jesus is in this exact place when he says something so powerful, like, I'm going to build my church on this foundation, and the gates of hell will never stop her. It's like Jesus is saying, right in the middle of these gates in this location, and he's saying, all this stuff that's been going on, all these things that have been happening, and these invitations, the evil spirits, and yes, spirits of darkness are around here, I'm just telling you, I'm getting ready to start something and do something that these spirits and these gates never stand a chance against stopping. And this thing is going to mow them down. How many people ever played chess before? You played chess, you know, it, the, the strategy of the game, the point of the game, it's, it's really kind of simple. You have to cause the other person's king to get into checkmate, right? You maneuver, you strategize, you do all these things, and the whole idea is you just try to, you try to get the other person's king where he's, he's toppled. He can't move anymore. Checkmate. It's over. So Jesus is at this point, look. The spirits of darkness, Satan, who is the prince of the power of the air, they, they, they've been wreaking havoc over the world since the fall, binding men in the clutches of sin and death. Now, God had a plan, praise God, but Jesus hadn't done what he came to do yet. And so the, the, the binding of sin and death was still a part of Satan's lock over man until Jesus came to do what he did. And so he stands there in front of these gates of hell, and he says, something's getting ready to happen. I'm getting ready to build something, and this is what's taking place. Satan is in checkmate. And it's, it's actually, if we want to be really, that's what we got. All of Satan's forces just were rendered powerless over what God was giving to his church. And because we are a part of God's family, then we are a part of the winning team. You understand that? Jesus didn't come and just say, I got power. He came and he said, I'm giving you power. I'm unleashing something in you and in the church and in the family of God that's going to, listen, not just play defense, He's saying, fellas, boys, this is what I'm telling you. I don't want you to just hang out and watch what's going on. I'm telling you, I want you to storm the gates of hell. I want you to attack evil in your world and in this world right now. And I want you to go and attack darkness. And I want you to set men free. And I'm giving you power to do that. And I'm telling you, I'm promising you, if you know who you are and you know who I am then they don't stand a chance against you. They got nothing on you. They're under your feet. So yeah, folks, if, if we are going to become the person that God's created us to be, we got to understand who we are and what our place is in the family of God. 
spiritually birthed into a family and into a community by God's design. You see, it's a spiritually birthed institution that we're a part of. And I'm just telling you, when Jesus comes back, he ain't coming back for a government. He ain't coming back for a political party. He ain't coming back for a specific area or region. He's coming back for a bride from all the four corners of the earth. We live in a world where we work jobs, we live in neighborhoods, we have families, we have friends, we relate in this world on all kinds of levels. But our first positioning in place is as a child of God in the family of God, knowing that we are a part of his body and that everything we do in all these areas outwardly needs to be empowered and influenced by our place in the church. By our place in the family of God. You see, many times and too many times, people think church is like a category. It's a compartment. It's a bucket. And we got all these buckets and plates, and this is just one plate. That's a marginalized, limited view. You understand? Of what church is and what God's inviting us into. You say, no, 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 no. This is family, man. And your, your relationship here in this family is everything. With me and with the people of God. And that's what's going to give you power and strength to do what I need you to do. And he gives us power. He gave the church power to storm the gates of hell and push back the forces of darkness. This blows my mind. Power to do that. The church should be, by all accounts, when we see these things in scripture, the church should be the most influential organization in all levels of our community, the most transformational organization on the planet, society at every level, government, politics, business, schools, families, everything. If the church is working right, it should be the presence and power of that should be felt in every level of our community. So much so that if the church, like in Waterloo, if Life Church X just went away and we closed our doors, I pray to God, I hope that the people of this community would hurt and feel the pain. Because the presence of the church and other churches in our community are so significant that we're making a difference. The church is not irrelevant or powerless. The church is full of power and full of relevance. She just has to take her place that way. In society and be who God's created her to be, the authentic expression of Christianity. And too many times, that's not what people encounter. I, I, I love when people come here. You know, most people, when they come and they've got bad views of church, it's not like they've never been in a church before, right? I mean, it's like, it's not, oh, what's, I never heard Jesus, never heard church. Well, this is brand new to me. That's not, that's rare that we see that. Third world countries happens all the time. It's interesting because, it's just way more conducive to the miraculous and supernatural a lot of times in those places in crusades and revivals as well. But here, it's not necessarily like that. I mean, most people, is, they've got a view of church. They kind of come in thinking, like, I get, I get church. You know, I know I've had it. I've been to church when I was a kid, Sunday school, whatever, raised. You know, they got some kind of view. But a lot of times when it's a, a bad view, you know, they, they, that's their truth right now. That's what they think. And they come here, and I love this, and I'm, I'm sure it happens in other churches too, but they come here, and they, 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 after it's all said and done, they're just like, uh, scratching their head like sometimes, you know? Like there's just this real, there's like almost this confused look, and I've seen it enough now where I, I usually I'm like, oh, I like, I'm going to have a conversation <laughs> with this person, you know? So if I charge you afterwards, just, you know, no big deal. Did I look confused? <laughs> um, but they're just scratching their head, and, and a lot of times I'll ask them, like, yeah, you know, what's going on or whatever. Like, I just, I just, I don't, I, I'm not sure what to do with this. I, I'm, I'm not sure what to do with this. This, 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 isn't, this isn't what I thought. This, this, this isn't what I knew. I, I, I got to, this is just colliding with all of the things I thought I knew about church. I, I, I feel like I got to rethink this whole thing. Now I'm just like, praise God. Because, I mean, all of us, Jesus needs to help us unthink some things and relearn some new things. But when you see that happening, what you know is that walls are breaking down. 
and lies and distorted realities are being shattered and disintegrated by the truth of the word of God and by his authentic presence in our atmosphere. It just changes things. And people are like, I gotta, I gotta rethink all this. This is just this is different, you know. I love this. And when Jesus says to Peter, he says, On this rock, I'm gonna build my church. Okay, here's one of the things a lot of times in doctrine, um, various denominations have different views on this, all right? I'll just say it that way. And one of the views is that this is um, Peter is the one that's going to start the church. And so that view of, like Jesus saying, on this rock, I'm going to build my church, is that it was all about Peter, okay? In fact, I'll just, like, that's the whole position of the Roman Catholic Church is that Peter was the first pope, and all of the succession of popes comes after Peter. So that's the, that's the true church, you know, and anything that's not that is not the true church. So if Peter really was the whole point, then I get that theology. I get that doctrine. But I don't think that's what the point was. I don't think it was about Peter. Because when you read it in the Greek, what you'll find is that Jesus said, you're Peter and on this rock. Who's the rock? What's the rock? Okay. Well, before this, Peter was referred to as Simon. And Jesus says Peter, and he says rock, and there's two words in the Greek that both mean rock, but they're different words. It's Petra and Petros. And when he gives Peter his name, he says, you're Petros. Little stone, little rock. Now, make no mistake about it. Peter would become the preeminent apostle. He would lead the way in the apostolic age. No question about that. He did. But he says, you're Peter, you're Petros, you're little stone. We're all living stones, Peter later goes on to say in some of his epistles. We're all living stones taking our place in one formation of a building to serve a purpose. And the spirit and life of God flows through us all to form a house. Peter later himself said that. He says, you're Peter, you're Petros, little rock. And on this Petra, which is a giant boulder, giant rock, said on that Petra, I'm going to build my church. Now, let me just remind you in Scripture that Jesus says, I am the foundation. He says, I am the chief cornerstone that the builders have rejected. He said, I am the stone that comes, and when men fall against and crush themselves, then they stumble. Daniel's vision of a rock that was being cut out of the earth, not with hands, and crushed all of the other kingdoms of the world is a picture of the Messiah, of Christ. See, he's the big rock. I'm trying to tell you. He said, when Peter said, he said, who do you say I am? He says, you're Jesus. You're Christ. You're the son of God. He says, that's right, little stone. And on that revelation, that giant rock, that solid foundation of you knowing who I am and, and people knowing who I am, it's on that foundation that I'm going to build this force called the church that's going to push back the gates of hell from now until I come back. That's what this thing's all about. And this is the first time we see in all scripture that Jesus introduces the word church. We don't see it anywhere else before this. Many times after, but number four. And that word that Jesus gives us, ecclesia, church, means called out ones. Means to be called out from the world and into God's family, and get this, and assembled and organized and gathered together into a family. He's saying, you're, you're called out of the world. It's no longer your home. Other places in Scripture says it like this. It says that when we are not born again before we have our life in Christ, it says we're like strangers to the kingdom of heaven. Okay? And it says that when we are reborn, born again by the Spirit of God through Jesus Christ, that we then become citizens of the family of God, of the kingdom of heaven, when we weren't before. But this is what I love, is that when we become citizens of the kingdom of God, it says that we then should walk, live, and act as if we are strangers and foreigners here in the kingdom of this world. Because this is no longer where your citizenship, he says you're sojourners now, you're like Moving and visiting, it's a temporary stay. This isn't your eternal home. Act like you're a citizen of a superior kingdom. Now, I, just, I, I wonder sometimes, and I know I pray 
all of the time, God, help me live up my life every day where I am more aware, more in tune, more in touch with the realities and the truth of your kingdom and my place of citizenship there than I am of the realities of this earthly kingdom and of this world. But that, that's, that's an easy thing to drift on, isn't it? Like, we live our lives and think, man, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I know I love Jesus, but I'm just like, everything about my life is limited by the world system. I'm more in tune with the world than I am with heaven. And I'm telling you, folks, our walk with Christ, the Christian life, is more about being more in tune and more in touch with the realities of heaven than in this world while we're walking through this life. And that's when the power of heaven invades our world. Jesus came and he said, I'm toppling hell. I'm putting Satan down to a point where he's powerless over the lives of my children now. It's done. Checkmate, baby. I'm finishing this thing. And anybody who gets that from now on is going to live from that victory from here on out. He said it to the Pharisees like this. He said, if, if you think I'm casting out demons by an evil spirit, you got it wrong. A, a house divided against itself can't stand. He said, but let me tell you something. If I'm doing the works that I'm doing right now by the finger and power of God, then here's the reality. The kingdom of God is upon you. It's here. You see, when Jesus came, God in the flesh, incarnation, birthed into this world. When he came, he brought the kingdom and reign of heaven with him. He invaded and collided this earthly environment and world system bound up by darkness, and he toppled the thing. He brought the reign of heaven, and he gave it to us. He gave it to his church. He said, now live with power. Because if you remember, he said, I, I'm not going to be with you a whole lot longer. i got to go. I'm not going to be here a lot longer. But I'm going to give you something. I'm going to give you someone. <laughs> and and I, I know you may not get this, but it's a lot better for you that I do go and that I send the one that I'm going to send. Because now that power is going to infill you and it's going to be a part of your life. It's going to mark you. And you're going to be a person who storms the gates of hell. Territory-taking, advancing, influential church. That's Jesus' church. That's what he came to build. That's what he wants to build right now. But I wonder, sometimes I do, I wonder, when we look around, and let's just say in our nation, is that really the church that we see? Is that the picture of the church that we see? Now, I'm going to give you some statistics and just, just some data points. And I spend a lot of time looking at these things. I feel like it gives me good insight, you know. I mean, there's so many statistics, you, you can hurt your brain thinking about it all the time. But I, I get a lot out of this stuff. And here's some interesting facts. <clears throat> In the United States, the church, just the Christian church, every denomination involved, and done all these surveys and stuff. In the last 10 years, the people who call themselves Christians has dropped by 12%. It's a staggering statistic, actually. 12%. At the same time in the last 10 years, the number of people who consider themselves of no religious affiliation, the nuns, they call them, has increased by 17%. It's going backwards on both ends. The most concerning thing to me, alarming, is that the largest, in fact, the lion's share of that 17%, Jake, are millennials. No religious affiliation, none. I don't know, that's just not, that's just not the picture. I, I, I feel like we're supposed to see. Are you with me? I just don't think that's what Jesus meant. When then you go over to a country like China, and what you'll find is that every year since 1979, if you go in incremental decades, every decade since 1979, the population of Christians has grown by 10% annually. If you measure in decades. Can I just remind you 
that that has happened in the face of a communist regime that is openly and publicly stated to be atheists. Anti-God, it has no place here, will lock you up if you get too crazy with it. Yet the church has grown by 10% a year, Josh. What's that all about? In fact, if it continues on the same trend, the forecast is that by 2030, China will have the largest population of Christians in the world. Uh, I think this is what I'm trying to say. Evil shouldn't matter. Darkness shouldn't matter because when light comes, it overwhelms the darkness and the darkness cannot comprehend it. We have been given the light of life and we become the light of men. Are we shining as the church the way Jesus meant for us to, to the point where darkness is being overwhelmed in our land? Because if we'll be the church, then we'll see the power and the influence and the transformation in our communities that I believe the heart of every believer wants to see. we got to take our place and be the church. And so, so I open up this series today called Church Myths because my heart is to take us through for the next number of weeks and look at many common misconceptions that mess with people's relationship with the church, that, that block it or interfere or, or bring damage to that so that it causes them to never really take their place in this body and in this family so that the power and life of God truly flows to, through them in the fullest form that it can, that they're making an impact and a difference here in this world. And so the first one, myth number one, and I actually think this may be the only one we get through today, but don't worry, we got plenty to go in the weeks ahead. The first one is that church is optional. Church is optional. Now, once again, I just want to make the point. People don't arrive at these places overnight. All right? So here's the, here's the view. I don't need church. I'm good. Now, I'm talking about Christians for a second here, not just unbelievers. We know they don't think they need church, right? Christians. Say, I don't, I don't, church is optional. I don't need church. I got my Bible. I read my Bible. I listen to Joy FM. I love Joy FM. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I listen to Joy FM. Check. Check. I pray. Talk to God. I got a good relationship with Jesus. Man, I don't need church. Okay? Church is optional. Yeah, if you like it, great. That works for you. Good, you know. But ah, I'm just not one of those people that, I'm not one of those church people. I just don't need that. So let me break it down like this. Can you grow in your relationship with God if you read your Bible, if you pray, if you worship? Yes, absolutely. No question about it. You, you will grow. But scripturally, if you do not become a part of God's family in the body and, and engage in biblical community, then you're not going to grow at the level that God wants you to grow at. There's going to be an element of your walk, of your strength, and of your maturity. I'm just telling you, that's going to be missing. It'll be lacking. Because that's part of the whole package. Yes, you can grow in these other things. But if you're not a part of the church, then there's a whole element of that that's missing. I, I remember when Katie and I... We first got together and then, you know, um, started dating. And, of course, she just, like, fell head over heels. And it was just this, you know, she was smitten and couldn't help herself. And, you know, still that way. And, um, <laughs> and so I, she, she basically was the one that started talking to me about the Lord, you know, and got, got me in church and I got saved. And then we got married a year after that. And. Just really we're growing in the Lord and going to church. And I mean, we were dedicated to church every week, you know, like get in and when it was over, we got out and, and, uh, <laughs> and that was just what we did. I, I loved church, but I was like, okay, I'm in and I'm out, you know, I've got things to do. 
And we never built relationships there. So for the first few years, it was awesome. We were growing, and man, I was getting out of the Word, studying the Scriptures, praise God, my worship was going to another level, and, and then all of a sudden, this climb that we were on, it just felt like the curve started to kind of level out a little bit. And finally, it caught up to us, and I was just like, what's going on, Lord? Like, what? this is not like it was. What's going on? And then God illuminated for us. He began to show us and help us see, like, we're, we're not a part of the church, you need family. You need relationships in the body of Christ, biblical, you know, family. You need people who are around you that are like-minded, think that way, are going to sharpen you, help you grow. And so we listened, and it was a painful process, to be real frank with you. It was like a year-long process of letting go of some earthly relationships that were really toxic and, you know, then seeking new relationships, and then those relationships had to have time to develop and all that. But after about a year, it was like, Boom, we were back on this growth curve. And you began to see like how relevant, how significant family, church family is to your spiritual growth. Right? But but a lot of people, they think that they, they can just have that as an optional part of their Christian walk. And, and the challenge with that is, is that when scripture's clear about something. We, we don't have the luxury of invoking personal preferences. I mean, you just don't. If scripture is clear, like, you, you can have an opinion, but it is what it is, right? And so when people think, well, I don't need church, or this isn't, you know, really for me, or whatever, that's, that's ungrounded in scripture. So that's, that's bad doctrine, basically. And that's not going to help you to grow stronger in your walk with the Lord, if you're basing your views and your actions off of bad doctrine, would you agree with that, right? And so listen to what Hebrews says. In fact, Pastor Guy stole this from me this morning already. He didn't know I was going to give this, but Hebrews 10, verse 24 and 25. He says, let us consider one another uh, and stir up, in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. I love this. I mean, it's just so clear. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. You got to gather. You got to come together in one accord to worship, to pray, to, to fellowship in order to experience the fullness of what God has planned for you in the family. He says, don't forsake that. It's a caution. Here's what happens when you forsake. Study that. The word forsake, it means to neglect something to the point of detriment where you feel the pain from that. Does it make sense? So, like, if you neglect that, you don't have that. Like, there's going to be a void in your life, spiritually speaking. He says, don't forsake that. Don't neglect that. It's of significant importance. This is part of God's design for our lives. So church really, I mean, it is not optional. Now, where we go and how we worship and all those different things, I think, yeah, you know what? Whatever God's leading you to do, where you feel peace, where you feel right, that's what it's about. He's got a plan for all that. But you've got to get somewhere. You've got to plant somewhere. But too many times, people, here's just how their relationship with church looks you know, they're Christian, I love God, I love the Lord, yeah, I'll go, you know, maybe here or there, I'll just whatever, and they're like a plant in a pot, and the pot has its own private soil, and it's totally separate from the garden, and all the dirt right here in the field. And I don't know if you realize this, but this plant, as long as it's in the pot, it's never going to get bigger than this because the roots are done. Do you understand that? And so when people, they, you know, come to church and they come along, that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to, you know, I'm just my plant in my pot and I'm just going to sit down here and uh, I'm just going to enjoy church today. But I'm just going to stay in my pot. Now, I don't think you guys are social distancing, by the way, right there with my pot. <laughs> My pot is closer than six feet to you. My pot has feelings, okay? Sorry. 
was I? All right, pot. So, come in and they like your pot, and you think, you know, I just want to, yeah, you know, if, if worship's not good, you know, if worship's not good, I mean, if somebody doesn't say hi to me, you know, and I get there, I mean, you know, I mean, if the pastor isn't incredible, I mean, we're good there, of course, but, you know, I'm just saying, like, then I'm just going to, I mean, just, you know, pick up my pot, and I'm just going to go. And I'll find another place and set my pot. Here's the problem with that, okay? Obviously, the plant can only get so big like this. But the root system there never intertwines with the roots of the rest of the plants. So it's just real easy to do what I just did. It's just real easy to out. There's no touch. There's no healing, right? No roots are disturbed in the garden if I stay in my plant, in my pot. But really, the Bible says when one member of the body hurts, we should all hurt. We should all feel it. So if that plant was actually planted in the soil of the garden, and we tried to pull it up, or the wind tried to rip it out, the other roots that are close would hook in, and they would hold on. And they would strengthen it. And if it did, by some account, start to tear and pull up a little bit, everything around it would feel the disturbance. You understand that? This isn't how we're supposed to relate to church. Psalms 92, verses 12 through 14. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted, everybody say planted, in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. Can I just say this to you today? God wants you to flourish. No question about that. To flourish is to reach full maturity, to reach full expression, to be overflowing with fruit and abundance, producing other fruit seeds that are, I mean, it's just, it's this point of like flourish, overflow, just amazing. He says, you want to flourish, real clear, what do you got to do? Get planted. You don't get planted in the house of the Lord, you won't flourish in the courts of God. You'll grow. You'll see some things. I mean, I, you, you, I'm not saying you can't talk to Jesus, you know, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying you won't flourish in this life of power and victory and kingdom impact for him the way to the fullness to the way that he wants you to. We've got to get planted. And every member of the body plays a function. And we're all part. Look, body of Christ, bride of Christ, church, ecclesia, they, they're different things that we can study and all those. They kind of all mean the same thing, okay? Bride of Christ, body of Christ, the church, ecclesia. And so every member of the body has a function and has a role. And the head is Christ. He says, I'm the head, you're the body. When the head is set, the body thrives. But you know one of the surefire ways to render a member helpless and, and inefficient? Sever it from the body. Cut my hand off and throw it on the ground. Like you say, oh, there's a hand. That's useful. I find a lot of things I could do with that. Right? I mean, liver, heart, all the organs, everything. Like it's all part of a system. You take it out and put it out here on its own and isolate it. What? What is it? What do you have? You, it's when it's connected to the body. Poof, that it's thriving and efficient in accomplishing what it's supposed to accomplish. It's got its own role. It does its own thing. And no other part of the body is going to do what it does. And what it does is beautiful. There's no schism in the body. But it's got to be connected. The life has got to flow through all of it. And I, I mean, I've come into these moments so many times now over the years in ministry. And it just pains me when these things happen. But we've got people, you know, and they'll, they'll be here, and then they're kind of just barely connected. They're not really in, you know, they're, they're in their pot, coming in and coming out, and then they hit something in life. They hit something, a storm, a trial. And they say, 
oh, I, I, I just, I gotta, you know, I just gotta take a break. I'm just, I gotta go deal with this thing. And then they sever themselves, they isolate themselves over here away from the body. And, and I'm just, I, I get pretty aggressive in these moments. If I, I mean, I, if I cross a line just a little bit, I mean, I, I, I'm going to do everything I can to try to get you back here. Because I know if you try to do it like that, if you try to fight this thing out there on your own, you, you ain't going to make it. I, I've just heard too many outcomes a year, two years, three years later down the road, divorce, death, addiction, jail, heard it, seen it. It's just consistent. You isolate yourself and try to go deal with this thing on your own, apart from the body, and Satan is just going to waylay you. You know how wolves attack sheep? They find the ones on the edge that sort of wander away from the flock. They, they clip them on the edge. They, get, they, they find the ones that are just sort of weak and wandering, and they, they don't want to dive into the pack of the flock. They, they get around and they clip them off, the ones that sort of drift astray. And then they pounce on them out there. That's what the enemy wants to do to you. You think the enemy wants you to understand what your place and relationship in the church is and what God wants for you? Heck no. No way. That's when the gates of Hades are getting the ground in our life whenever he can keep us isolated and separated. But if we'll understand that we have a role and a function and a place and we're in the body and praise God as we do, all of the nutrients and life flow of that whole garden, of that whole community is enriching our lives. We have things that we're receiving, but we're also making a contribution. We're leaving nutrients in the soil as well. And as long as it's in a pot, you're never going to let those nutrients spread out into the rest of the garden either. And we have a, a part to play. Jesus' church, the church, I mean, frankly, there's nothing more beautiful on the earth than Jesus' bride. It's a territory-taking, advancing, game-changing, spiritually-formed entity. And that's where we belong. We have a part in a family and if we understand that, the church, no, really, it's not optional, like, to be a part of the family of God, to be in community. It's not optional if you want everything that God has for you. And so as I close, I, I just, I'll say it like this. God is inviting us in to something great. He is asking us, will you come and be a part of my family and everything that being a part of this family has to offer you. He wants to shower us with blessings. He wants you to be spiritually mature, strong, and full of faith in your inner man. God wants that for you. Paul even said he prayed Fervently, I pray that God would strengthen you by his might through his spirit in your inner man. God wants us to be giants of faith. Not people tossed around to and fro like waves in the sea. That's not what he wants for us. He wants us to be steady, solid, and strong. He wants us to be like cedars of Lebanon that grow upright, go incredibly tall. They are miraculous trees in that part of the world. Unbelievable. Solid, strong, upright, and straight, growing towards heaven. <laughs> Says that's what I want you to be. You got to get planted. If you do, you'll flourish. Church is not optional. If, if people think that, I just I said beg to differ. You know, I'm okay if you say I'm struggling with this pastor. Like I, I'm just not there yet. I, I'm just I'm kind of wrestling with this thing about church. And hey, we're good. I, I get it. I, we can work with that. We can work with that. Let's talk scripture. Let's let's talk where you're at. Let's talk about your past experiences. Let's work through some things. We're, I'm good with that. It's when people say no way. I don't. You know, nope. Nope. And then these hard walls and defenses are built up. And the harder it gets, the more difficult it is for us to break through. He said, no way. There's an unwillingness and a stubbornness. It's like you're turning your will completely against the will of God in the other direction. And that's, that's a stubbornness that makes it very hard for the truth of God.
to get in. And so people say, yeah, I'm, I'm wrestling with this thing, but I don't know. I'm open. We can work with that. That's good. Because I believe with all my heart that if you taste of the real thing, if you really experience what authentic church looks like, biblical family, you'll never want to run away from that. It's a treasure. Am I right? It's a treasure. Let's stand to our feet.